Hey there, welcome to the show. Wow, I can't believe it. December already. Where has the year gone? And guess what? We're coming up to the end real quickly. So I've got lots planned for you. Still have a few shows left this year. And this one, I've got a very special guest joining me again. Uh, I have Dr. Jessica Lautz joining me from the National Association of Realtors. And Dr. Lautz is the Deputy Chief Economist, as well as the Vice President of Research there. Dr. Lautz joined me this around this time last year. And um, I have to tell you, I'm really excited to have her back because I think the narrative's really really changed over the last year. As we know, real estate's had uh, kind of a 180 uh, in a lot of ways and more interest rates driven than anything else. You know, I, most people are always going to hear me thinking that I'm, I'm stroking the positive in real estate, but still not a lot of inventory out there. And, you know, I'll give you a couple of facts and figures today. But again, you know, as far as the numbers go, not this catastrophic crash that, you know, some economists uh, were wanting to, I, I don't know, parlay into the conversation. But even some of the banks now are looking at it saying, you know, we, we're not going to burst. You know, there was a lot of, a lot of comments made by some of the different lenders that uh, they thought that we're going to have this massive decline. You know, they're still going to be a little bit sketchy on the, what they have to say about it. But I think right now we can be pretty positive that, um, you know, we w might see a little bit more of a decline. And of course, Bank of Canada is getting ready just to see if they can jab us one more time this year. And we'll have to wait and see. It could be a quarter point, could be a half a point. Tell you what, how about you make no points? Uh, just give us an early Christmas gift. That'd be nice. So, hey, Tiff Macklin, you know what? We're just going to throw out a, you know, you could be Santa Claus and not increase interest rates. That would be nice. But again, that could be wishful thinking. So maybe he's just going to put coal in your stocking and say, forget it. It's a half a point. So we'll wait and see, but that's coming up this week. So we'll know uh, in a little while. But I do want to I do want to talk to you about something that's uh, near and dear to us. Uh, and, and it is, of course, the first responders and what they've been able to do over the last several years for all of us. And of course, some of the, you know, trials and tribulations they've had to go through, you know, a lot of up and down and, and it's been difficult. So one of the things that we do here at The Simple Investor, we'd like to help people create security. And security, I think, is very important, especially financially, as we've gone through, you know, kind of an epic, you know, issue uh, here in the world. And a lot of people needed security. They needed to make sure that at least they had a little bit of a, a safety net. So uh, on, on Thursday, February the 2nd, I am having a special seminar webinar for first responders. And it doesn't mean that you can't show up if you're not a first responder, but I'm dedicating this to first responders in a way to say thank you for everything you've done for all of us. And more importantly, we have a very special um, offering that we're gonna be doing that night where first responders would have the ability to buy into buying an investment property with only 10% down. Everybody knows you typically have to come up with 20% down, but we, are, we have a special program that we're launching for first responders to help them get into the more secure uh, place to be. And this is, again, one of the important things for us. So mark your calendar. That is Thursday, February the 2nd at 7 p.m. You can join us here for the seminar or you can log in and you can join us for the webinar. So it's going to be a very exciting night. It's a very, very special program. It's a very limited program. And I'm excited to be able to announce this for um, all the first responders that have been able to help, uh, you know, give us a lot of support over the years. So other than that, um, you know, a lot, as I said, going on in the marketplace. Hey, what's everybody think about um, 
you know, redoing Ontario Place. And of course, you know, there's all sorts of offers. <laughs> I don't know if everybody's been watching the news on it, but Ontario Place. So they've been looking at revising it, and there was actually um, one of the uh, one of the uh, companies out there was throwing around the idea of throwing a spa, a private spa complex, and you can pay. I think it's about forty dollars a day to go use it. And a lot of people are saying, well, hang on for a second. You know, not everybody's going to want to spend forty dollars to go to a spa. And, you know, it's a good point. So, you know, do we rejuvenate the, the waterfront, the entire part of Ontario Place, just for, you know, um, all open to everybody? Or can a company that's going to come in and try to pri privatize everything and, you know, throw some of it open, you know, work on the waterfront, and then try to make some extra money? So, you know, that, that is that, uh, that issue that a lot of people have, obviously, with developers, you know, and especially when we're dealing with, you know, city you know provincial provincially owned land you know who should be allowed to do what um it's interesting though because you know when when we talk about properties and i was looking for a uh, a report that i saw um and and, and here's here's the one that i want to uh, sorry i just had to get it because I, it was one of these ones i really wanted to bring up because it goes into the narrative that i've been talking about oh i don't know forever um it's the canada's housing affordability problem is too big for governments to solve alone in a CMHC report. So the government's own report says that they can't do it. They can't solve the problem. Duh. How long have we been talking about this? That there is no way. I mean, you know, if you if you talk about, you know, some of the, the housing, you know, some of the low-income housing, some of the repairs that were supposed to be done, how long does it take? Well, you know, according to some of the politicians, it takes forever, and they still don't get it done. So in this case, finally, finally, they're sitting there saying, the scale of the challenge is so large that the private sector must be involved. Governments cannot do this on their own. Wow, it only took them how long to admit they can't do it. After all the campaign promises, they're finally saying, hey, the private sector, we're going to need you. You know, this is, this is one of those things. They could have solved some problems 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago by working on, you know, as we talk about, purpose-built rental properties. And now they're finally realizing it. I mean, I, I don't know how long people have to get hit beside the head with something to say until they finally say, hey, that makes sense. So here we go. We finally got CMHC to say they cannot do it themselves. Well, I'm glad that they finally acknowledge it because the housing crisis is a reality. I, mean, I know everybody gets tired of me saying inventory, inventory, inventory. But regardless if you agree with me or not, here's the thing. Everybody requires a roof over their head. I mean, that's a given. You know, I, I, I'm looking at my iPhone as I'm here in the studio looking at a screen and we can have all the technology we want. I mean, heck, we, we've got our own studio here. And at the end of the day, if I don't have a roof over my head for my family, there's no technology that's going to change that. And then let's throw in a growing population. And yes, it may not be internally growing, but if we have immigration where it's going right now, 500,000 people more here into the city um, or into the country, and half of it's coming here anyways. So where are we putting the roofs? Okay, where are the roofs going to come from? So we can kind of refabricate a few. We can throw in some basement apartments. We can throw in some laneway housing, but that's not going to be the total solution. And that's just kind of a minor band.
bandage on the bigger problem. And so this, this is one of the things that, you know, I think that we need to have a big conversation with. Now, I know a lot of people are saying that Doug Ford's solution to Toronto housing crisis looks like no solution at all. And of course, you know, Steve Clark uh, said that Mayor Tory deserves undemocratic powers to pass legislation at Toronto City Hall with the support of just one third of city council. So in other words, they want to be able to move the ball along the red tape. And you know what, I'm going to applaud, you know, the suggestion that we can give give the red tape a rest, okay? Um, there's no reason why we should have as much of it. But at the same time, it's great. So let's get rid of the red tape. Let's slow, you know, let's, let, let's speed up the process instead of slowing it down. You still have to build it, okay? Regardless, okay, you still have to get the dump truck to go there. You still have to get the cranes in place. You have to get the operators. You have to get the drywallers, the formers, the cement people. You, you, you get it. You need the people to do it, even if you're allowed to do it. So, you know, as much as solutions and, and, and like I said, it's a, it's a step, it's a good step. I'm finally glad that, you know, potentially we're going to shorten the life of the red tape, but at the end of the day, we still need the people to build it. And then at the same breath, you got to remember one of the reasons why the builders are on pause right now, and there's a bunch of them, you know, don't kid yourself. There's a lot of builders out there right now that are saying, you know what? Interest rates are too high. We can't do this. Why is that? So if we take a look that, you know, when you buy a condo in downtown Toronto today, and let's just use a hypothetical number of 750,000, because that's kind of where a lot of the condos are sitting. So 750,000 for a brand new condo, how much does the developer pay in development charges on that? Anyone? Anyone? Well, here's the number. The number is almost $200,000 in total development charges on a $750,000 condo. I want you to think about that for a second, because here's the thing. The more properties you, you have come in, first and foremost, we've got the double land transfer tax in the city of Toronto. And on top of that, then you're going to also generate, you know, property taxes. So how will you decide to pull back on some of these development charges? I think that if they could create a better program, you know, some of the builders will come back off the, off the um, fence right now, but they're going to stay there if interest rates stay the way they are. And, and I'm going to tell you, you know, when you take a look at some of this institutional money that these builders have to utilize, it's brutal. Like they are pulling back something incredible right now. They're making it a lot tougher for people to get financing. You know, they call it a loan to value. So, you know, when you buy something, you pay 100% of the price. But then there's the numbers that when people are buying buildings or working with construction financing, there's certain numbers that they will allow. Right now, that number keeps dropping and dropping and dropping. And so it's getting harder and harder because now you have to put more cash in when you're either purchasing a building or if you're going to be doing the construction. So there's more money out of the pocket of either the builder, the developer, or the landowner. So these are the kind of things that the obstacles that everybody's facing. So, you know, I know it's a much, much bigger, broader picture for us to look at. But again, currently, you know, we can talk about, you know, higher interest rates, a little bit of a downturn in a market. But this is, this is, this is today. We got to think about tomorrow's problem. And I, that's one of those things I always like to allude to is, you know, everybody can wants to do a knee jerk reaction because they think they're solving today's problem. What about tomorrow's problem? You know, what happens when we have 5 million more people in this country in 10 years, 5 million, how many residents 
do we need? You know, even, even if they could meet the number they thought they could, 1.5 uh, million pro new properties isn't going to handle it. So anyways, that was my rant. I just didn't give it the usual introduction of, hey, I'm going to rant now. But anyways, that's my rant for this week. And uh, as I mentioned, you know, at the, uh, at the beginning of the show, very, very excited about our, uh, our simple webinar seminar for the first responders. And that's coming up on uh, Thursday, February the 2nd at 7 p.m. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register. And coming up after the break, I've got Dr. Jessica Louts joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, my next guest joining me, um, actually, I haven't spoken to her in about a year. She, uh, she was able to join us last year, this time, and uh, it is Dr. Jessica Louts. And uh, Dr. Louts is the Vice President of Research at the National Association of Realtor and also the Deputy Chief Economist. And Dr. Louts, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great talking to you again. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And, and you know, it's amazing because when you and I spoke last year, you know, there was this feverish pitch around real estate, you know, historic low interest rates. And, you know, I, I guess I have to start off with saying it's, it's not the same year right now, is it? <laughs> no, it's certainly not. I have to say when we talked last year, we had the lowest inventory that we had recorded since 1999. We kept trending downwards. We still have really tight inventory, but the demand was outrageous last year. We really were looking at this environment with low interest rates. Rates were expected to rise. They have risen now, uh, but it pushed so many consumers into the market in this really frenzied activity, seeing homes for 15 minutes, bidding way over asking. Yeah, you know, and, and it's amazing because when you and I spoke, you know, we, we were running the parallels from the Canadian to the U.S. market. And, and you know, they're very, very similar markets, obviously, driven by interest rates, uh, demand, lack of inventory, things like that. And, and of course, you know, now, um, you know, the, it seems like the U.S. Fed is continuing the pressure on interest rates. But, you know, it, it's amazing because now you hear in the wings a little bit that potentially they're going to kind of ease up on the, the percentage of increase. Increases. Um, how do you feel, and, and maybe you can give us your you know, perception of what's happening to interest rates, especially in your marketplace? So we had seen them jump really in a very quick time frame, um, jumping from 3% to over 7% in just a few months, which really shocked consumers and, and added on a, a mortgage payment of about $1,000 a month for the typical consumer. And so that really pushed a lot of buyers out of the market. What has happened even in recent, the last two weeks, what we've seen is that interest rates are closer to 6.5%. And I know that doesn't seem like that big of a drop from over 7%, but it does translate into consumers being able to make it into the market now and actually adds to some affordability, lessens some affordability constraints and allows them to come into the marketplace. Right. Now, I know that, um, you know, part of your studies um, with the National Association of Realtors, of course, was some of the behavior of, you know, not just realtors, but of course, consumers. And, you know, it's interesting that you bring up, and, and I've talked a lot about this on the show, that I felt that as soon as there was a little bit of easing pressure, some people are going to feel that aha moment and say, maybe we should get back in the market. Because when they sit on their hands for the last, let's say, six months, it's really difficult. You know, I, consumers want to buy, you know, real estate if it's not investment it's for their primary residence so where where do you see this going are we are we going to start to see that pent-up demand kind of get released in the new year 
You know, it's very possible that we do, especially if interest rates continue to trend down, it, it does free up affordability. It also, because we don't have this frenzied marketplace that we did a year ago, this is a better time for buyers. If there's a high income buyer, they can afford that higher interest rate. They know that they may be able to refinance in the future. And honestly, six and a half percent is pretty good. That's where I bought my first home. I know that that's a pretty solid rate. Um, and historically speaking, I think a consumer would feel pretty comfortable. It's just that we have really short memories. So if we think of two and a half percent, three percent, of course, those are extremely low rates. It's an, and very unusual in the marketplace, COVID-driven, really low rates. Yeah. So to, to my listeners out there, just so you know, my guest this hour, Dr. Jessica Lautz. And uh, Dr. Lautz, actually, she's the vice president of research with the National Association of Realtors in the United States, as well as the uh, deputy chief economist. Um, Dr. Lautz, you know, it's it's funny when you mentioned that, you know, you your first property you bought at six and a half I, uh, percent interest. I actually, my first one, I think was 12%. So I'm going to age myself a little here. And, <laughs> you know, so, so when you hear that, um, you know, one of the things that of course is reflective uh, in, in interest rates is when we talk about the bond market versus, of course, in your case, the U.S. Fed, we call it the Bank of Canada here, but the U.S. Fed, their, their, their posted rates. So do you think we're going to see a, a, a few more people come into, let's say, more of the, the, the longer term mortgage? just, you know, more of a fixed rate um, approach? You know, it's possible in just in the last six months, what we've heard a lot about, and I don't have data to support this, but I've heard it anecdotally from realtors and mortgage brokers, that there were a lot of people who were feeling comfortable taking back on arms. And that was something that had really gone by the wayside in the last couple of years with these really historically low rates. Now arms are more popular, especially if you consider a buyer who may be saying, okay, I'm buying this home and I expect to live here for five to seven years, but I may move if I have children, if I uh, need a new job in the future. And so that allows me that flexibility, that opportunity to do that. It doesn't make me so nervous as long as they're not subprime. And so there's a lot of concerns that these could be subprime mortgages, but they're not. They're conventional mortgages, but they're arms. Right. And, and just for clarity, for our listeners sake, can you tell what uh, our listeners what an arm is? Yes, I will just use a lot of terms and just not tell you. <laughs> um, so an arm is essentially you have a fixed rate for a certain number of years, whether that's five years, seven years, even 10 years, and it's a lower rate than what you would get for a 30 year fixed. And then it adjusts after that time frame. Of course, you can always pay off that arm for a portion of the mortgage, you could refinance that or you move. And so you're not going to have that mortgage. Right. Okay. So, you know, one of the things that I, and of course I like reading your articles that, that you've written and there is an article that I caught my attention. It says amount, uh, America's housing dream is broken. Can you enlighten us with that? Yeah. I mean, when we talk about housing affordability, this is the biggest constraint that, that consumers are really facing right now. They have the rise in rates, which we've been talking about, but also the rise in home prices has been staggering. If we look at different areas in the U.S., we know that home prices increased by 45% year over year in places such as Austin and Boise, and they're coming down, they're moderating, but they're still seeing home price growth of eight, 9% on a year over year basis. So it's still incredibly strong. And that just prices out so many consumers. 
Yeah. And, you know, when, when we talk about consumers, obviously, you know, we now also have quite a few people that are renters. And I'm just wondering, you know, in our marketplace, you know, because we have very low inventory, we also have very low rental numbers as far as vacancy reports. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's historically low right now. Are you still, you know, experiencing the same thing um, in the United States? We are. So I think what's, you know, it's so unusual. We have not had building really in the last 15 years at the rate that it should be, but it's both for, for units to be purchased, but it's also for rental housing. So we've seen rents go up at very strong paces. 40% year over year, 30% year over year is not uncommon to hear about in city centers. And so that just makes it impossible for a potential renter to be able to save for a down payment, save for the future, a rainy day fund. A lot of people are doubling up in that situation, perhaps young adults moving in with family or even older adults moving in with family. Right. And and one of the things that I know in some of your marketplaces, you do have rent control in place and other markets you do not. And, you know, it's very, it, it's the same that we have here in, in Canada. Uh, certain provinces have rent control. So the, for the for the properties that have no rent control, I guess you're seeing escalation to the point where tenants are actually being forced out of the property. Yes, absolutely. And it may be more common if uh, if a renter moves to the new property that they would be facing this rise in rents. If you have a good tenant, especially if you're mom and pop landlord and you just have a few rental properties, you may be uh, discouraged from rising that rent, especially when you know you get an on-time payment, your property is in good condition. Why would you want to lose that tenant? No, that's a, that's a great point. And, you know, one of the things that we try to encourage people, obviously, um, is that when you are being a landlord, there's nothing wrong with saying, okay, I'm going to, on paper, I'm showing your increase in rent, but I'm going to give you an abatement on rent if you pay on time. It's kind of like that encouragement where we say, listen, you know what, even though our paperwork says it's going to be higher, but we're going to take care of you because you are a good paying tenant. Yeah, I mean, that could certainly happen. I think, you know, mom and pop landlords, they always want to have someone in their property. You don't want a vacancy in your property, but also you want to have your property in good condition. So having yeah. that open relationship. Yeah, very, very important. Um, Dr. Lutz, we're going to go to a quick break. Uh, folks, just so you know, uh, joining me this hour, Dr. Jessica Lutz. And Dr. Lutz, she is the chief, uh, sorry, deputy chief economist and VP of research at the National Association of Realtors. Joined me this time last year. We've got a lot more to talk about when we come back after the break. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my special guest this hour is Dr. Jessica Lautz. And uh, Dr. Lautz, she is the Deputy Chief Economist for the National Association of Realtors, as well as she is the Vice President of Research. And um, Dr. Lautz, just before the break, uh, you know, you and I were kind of reminiscing a little from last year to this year about how everything has changed. And um, maybe, maybe you can kind of give us a little bit of an indication of a, a couple other things. Who really are the first-time homebuyers nowadays? I know there's been a bit of a shift and, you know, it's surprising. I think they're getting a little bit older, but I also saw some reports that they're, you know, different demographics and things like that. Yeah. I mean, first-time homebuyers, they have been hard hit in the last year. They don't have housing equity to rely on when they move into their next property. So what we're seeing is that First-time home buyers, they actually shrunk to the smallest share that we've recorded in our 41-year history, the data set. So it's just 26% of buyers in the last year. What's really important too is, as you said, their age is getting older. They're, they're closer to 40 than they are to 30 now. 
and they're whiter. They're more likely to have generational transfers of wealth, more likely to have mom and dad's help entering into homeownership. Right. So when when some of the characteristics of what, let's say, people are looking for, what what are first time home buyers now looking for in, in their first purchase? So what's pretty interesting is that while this may be necessarily top priority to them, what is happening is because of the affordability crisis, a lot of people are going to outer suburbs, small towns, rural areas. Remote work, of course, has allowed this to happen as well if you don't have to come into the office every day. But we're seeing a lot of people move to farther out areas looking for single family homes that actually are, are pretty substantial in size as well. Three bedrooms, two baths, feeling pretty comfortable that they'll stay put for a while. Okay. And then when, when we talk about affordability, obviously, you know, it's got a lot to do with their, their ability to take on debt and come up with a down payment. Is there a median price that we're finding that most first time home buyers fall into? So, uh, for first time home buyers, they're looking at more affordable price points. So in the U S the median price point, uh, varies on a month to month basis, but it's about $400,000. So a first time home buyer would be looking under that at a more affordable price point. And they're often making compromises on that price. They're often making compromises on that condition of the home. So perhaps buying a fixer up or something that needs a little work, something that's a little older. So when we talk about your big cities, you know, um, you had mentioned that we see some migration going into the smaller towns, the outer markets. Uh, is this going to have an, a more of an adverse effect then on, let's say, some of the, the you know, metropolitan areas, you know, the ones that do have more of the, the higher condos in the sky? I don't think so. You know, I have to say what I think is pretty interesting in the data is that people who are buying in city centers are the people who have money and the people who have money are older adults today. City centers have amenities, they have walkability, they have the ability to pop out to a restaurant or a coffee shop, go to a museum or a sporting event, and older adults have money now and in retirement, they're embracing that. So it used to be this huge trend that we would see millennials, young adults in city centers, they may want that, but they may not be able to afford that. Right. You know, here in Toronto, just so you know, um, you know, we saw a little bit, I'm, I'm not going to put too much of a number on it, but an, an exodus during COVID where, you know, a lot of people realized that they could work remotely. So they ended up going out more to the outer markets. And of course, as soon as, you know, interest rates dropped and, and some of the mandates dropped, all of a sudden we saw this huge, you know, flow of people coming back in the Toronto condominium market has stayed very strong. I would imagine that a lot of times when we talk about immigration, when you talk talk about people that are, as you said, that can afford it, you know, they definitely want to be in that core city, you know, your, your New York's, you know, uh, your Chicago's like some of the, some of the key cities in, in, in the U S as it is in Canada. Absolutely. And those cities are always going to attract people. But what's so important is that the limited inventory within these city centers really has pushed up prices, both for rental units and for places to purchase. And so you really do have to have the income, the money in reserves, the credit score to be able to qualify to move into these types of properties as well. But it's always going to be attractive to have the dynamic nature of cities. Yeah. Now, one of the things, you know, obviously, I, I think it's a, it's really happening around the world, but, you know, definitely we've seen it here in Toronto, um, is the, the shift in the actual labor force. And one of the things we've found is that, you know, we've got fewer and fewer people going into the trades, and we've got also an aging demographic of trades. Um, are you experiencing the same thing? Because for us, you know, we, we're, we're trying to infill desperately, but we're just not getting there. 
Absolutely. We are absolutely seeing the same problem. And really, when we talk to the home builders and the struggles that they're having in putting new properties into the market, this is one of the issues that they cite is the labor constraint that they have. That skilled labor, when we're talking about electricians, when we're talking about plumbers, people you absolutely want to hire who have these skill sets, they're really in short supply. And so even when we think about contractors to fix up our homes that we already own, it's very difficult to find someone who has the, these skill sets. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, when you and I spoke last year, we did talk a lot about, you know, the impact that uh, COVID had on everyone. And with people staying home, I think I think a lot of people recognize that, you know, they really did want to finish that basement, and put that rec room in, you know, maybe put that pool in. And, you know, we saw several years where you just you couldn't hire a contractor. The, the wait time could be two years for a pool or somebody even to show up for six months. Absolutely. Uh, yes, the wait time is very long. I, I even had a contractor come in today, uh, work on my own property, uh, and the waiting list was three months to, to have him come in. So it really is incredible when you think about these specific skill sets. And you, these are really attractive jobs. You make a very solid salary and we really do have short supply of the, these employees. Uh, so I would encourage anyone out there who's listening, who's perhaps in high school right now, considering their future, go into the trades, please. We need you. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's interesting because, um, you know, Canada um, has decided to increase the number of people that we have immigrate. And I, I know the number is very low in comparison to the United States, but um, we've opened up the borders to say that we'd like to have about 500,000 people immigrate into the country. And, you know, a lot of people are coming in that, of course, have MBAs, doctorates and things like that. Um, I almost, you know, I, I always give a shout out to our politicians to say, hey, why don't, why don't you give everybody a little bit more of a free pass if they come in if they're a drywaller electrician um is, is your immigration do you do you have any kind of you know um encouragement to bring in the trades or is it kind of the same thing that we've got here um, in all honesty, that is so far out of my my knowledge set and my expertise. I do not know, um, but I, I wish we do. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I don't mean to put you on the spot with that. I just it's one it's one of those things that we keep we keep saying. Listen, you know what? We we could solve part of our problem, and and of course, then there is, you know, we we struggle a lot with building permits, and of course, um, right now, inventory of supplies, and the supply chains have you know ground to a halt, and things are taking twice as long mm -hmm. just to even get material. Yeah, no, absolutely. That is that is a huge hurdle. And each local area also may have silly laws, honestly, on the books that restrict buildings. So in some areas, thinking about having, you need to have two parking spaces for every unit that's built. Oh, well, that's a one bedroom condo and you need to have two parking spaces. It makes no sense. So looking at those laws and seeing what's actually on the books versus how people actually live today, I think we need to make these appropriate. Yeah, it's funny when you you're making me chuckle because when you talk about parking spots and we, then we talk about condos, you know there are there are people that are actually selling parking spots for condos for one hundred fifty two hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> and you think to yourself, wow, that's a pretty good square footage price. So you know it's it, it's interesting how how the narratives are very similar and and you know amazing how some of these planners and and municipalities they they really are throwing a ton of constraint in here as you said you know. To Two parking spots, one condo. Well, what if they don't drive? You know, and and but they're being forced right. into a situation. 
Right. And there's, I mean, if we look at the demographics too, there's so many more people who are single adults who are living in those properties by themselves. So there's, it would be quite unusual, I think, for a single adult to have two, two cars. Uh, so well, that might be, be that. that might be why they're single. So <laughs> there, there you go. They want to spend more time with their car. Anyways, we're going to go to a quick break, folks. When I come back, I'm going to have more with Dr. Jessica Louts. And she is the Deputy Chief Economist at the National Association of Realtors, as well as the Vice President of Research. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. It's amazing how fast an hour goes by, but I'll tell you, it's been a real joy having my guest joining me, Dr. Jessica Lautz. And Dr. Lautz is the Deputy Chief Economist at the National Association of Realtors, as well as she's the Vice President of um, Research. So Dr. Lewis, when, when you and I were talking, um, you know, obviously inventory has become a big issue. Let, let's talk about kind of the mindset of when we talk about real estate crashes. Of course, the U.S. went through a big adjustment in 2008-2009. Do you think that that's where we are today, or is this going to be a much softer landing and maybe, maybe not as steep? No, I don't, I don't think this is anything like 2008. And there's a lot of comparisons that are being drawn. And really, we have to look at the actual data and go beyond these headlines and, and the shock value of them. When we look at this, what we are seeing is that we have incredibly limited inventory. If we look back at that time period, we had 4 million units in the US for sale. Right now, we have 1 million. And that's on a good day. We really are short in housing inventory. And we really have not been building like we should be. The second main factor as well is that it's very hard to obtain a home loan today. You have to have a high credit score. You have to have money in reserves. You have to be able to qualify. And in all honesty, very few people are able to do that. So we do see that lending is incredibly tight. During that time period, there were funny loans. There were no doc loans. Uh, you didn't have to verify your income. And the third one is really demographics. We have a wave of young adults trying to find their first property. We blame millennials for a lot of things, but in all honesty, they, they may be helping the housing market because they are trying to find their first property. So, you know, one of the, one of the things I always, you know, talk about here on my show is the fact that, you know, to, ha to have a first-time home buyer, unless they're buying new, you have to have a first-time home seller. Are you finding more people staying longer in their homes? We are. We are seeing people are staying longer in their homes. Seniors want to age in place. It's, it's no one's dream to move into a nursing home or assisted care facility anymore. People really do want to stay put, have a nurse come in if that if it really comes to it, or even move into a family member's home. But unfortunately, that's not freeing up housing stock. Right. And, and you know, that, that's one of the, the things that we have as a big narrative here is the fact that seniors are staying longer. And, and, and some, some people are actually getting a little bit upset and angry. You know, I, it's amazing. Every time an election comes around, uh, you know, we hear the narrative where people say, well, you know, they, some of these people shouldn't be still living in their 3,000 square foot house. What do pe two people need that for? You know, I, I kind of struggle with that narrative because I look at it and say, look, if you've been the one that's owned this house for 30 years, you can stay there as long as you want. You know, it's your home, your choice. But there's actually, I've seen some politicians that actually wanted to suggest that some of these people are, should be forced to sell. 
Okay, well, we shouldn't force folks to sell. Um, that is their property. So obviously property rights are incredibly important to us uh, here in the US. What I would say to that, you know, is is if you're happy and you're healthy and you're staying put, really what we need is, is more units down the block. And that's really what it comes down to is we need more building to support the young adults today. They can live in a happy community together. Right. So I want to talk to you uh, for a few minutes about the National Association of Realtors. How many members do you currently have? Uh, we currently have 1.6 million members. Right. And, you know, one of the things, of course, now, you, you know, I've been talking for the entire show about buyers and sellers and, you know, interest rates and current situations. This uh, in itself, when we see a downturn in a market like this, how are the realtors handling it? Because for some of them, you know, again, whenever you see an uptick in market, you get a lot of new people, they go out, they become realtors, you know, they hop into a marketplace, maybe don't understand what it's like to operate in a downturn marketplace. So there are gonna be some realtors out there that are gonna struggle over the next little while. Yeah, and I would say that this is a really tough market for realtors today because they really do have limited inventory. As we see these rise in rates, the other problem that we're seeing is that homeowners wanna stay put in their home. There's no intention to sell. If you have a lower rate, you may just remodel your home and reuse it as a different way. And so they're really struggling with this lack of inventory. They have consumer demand for high income buyers. They're there. There's always an, a set of all cash buyers about a quarter of the market as well. So we do have consumers, but there is limited inventory. And of course, the rise in rates is just impacting everyone's ability to really be able to get into homes. And so realtors are, are struggling right now as they reset and they absolutely get the narrative, the correct narrative out to clients today, as opposed to just the headlines. They really are the experts, but this is a shifting marketplace and they have to be able to convey that. Right. And so if you were able to give realtors advice, what would you tell them to do today? Is there a few th steps that you think or you can encourage people to do to be able to you know, get through these tough times? Yes. Arm yourself. Arm yourself with the data. So when your clients come to you or potential clients come to you and they see a headline or they see an Instagram video or a reel, make sure that you have the facts by your side. So when they draw comparisons to 2008, for instance, you have the facts and you can say, no, this is different. This is a different time frame. The second one, find your niche. Find who your powerhouse clients are going to be. Whether you focus on first-time home buyers, you focus on veterans, find your niche because that's going to be people who refer you and have a good experience with you. And, you know, keep the optimism alive because we have downturns, but we have upswings as well. Yeah, I, I, I like to encourage people to also help educate people. It's not all about the deal today. It could be a deal tomorrow. But, you know, being able to educate people what's happening in a marketplace, ha give them a better understanding, I think is very important. Because, again, as you said, headlines can be very misleading. And mm -hmm. really getting it out to the people. And, and, and hence, one of the reasons why I do the show is that, you know, there's so many headlines that I think, you know, when we take a look at it, you know, we, we had a headline recently that said, you know, the markets dropped by 47%. They forget to, that on the last line of the actual article, it says in volume, not in price, right? So, so you know, the, 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 this puts panic into the, into the marketplace. And I think, I think it's part of a realtor's job to bring calm to a marketplace, not overheat it. Absolutely. And, you know, the only way you can do that is with accurate information, accurate research, accurate data. Well, I know that's one of the things that the National Association of Realtors uh, really does do for their members. It's very important. And I know that you've got annual reports and you've just released one. So um, how does 2023 look? 
So what I would encourage is for uh, folks looking at 2023, check out our forecast on NAR.realtor. Uh, but for 2023, we do expect that there will be a contraction in sales as long as interest rates have risen. That being said, because the last three weeks we've seen uh, a lowering in interest rates, if they stay at 6.5%, it might be quite encouraging for consumers to come back in. Inventory is going to be tough, though. Inventory is going to be very tight. That's going to continue to push up prices because inventory is so tight. Yeah. Well, Dr. Lutz, it's been a real pleasure catching up on uh, with you uh, today. I appreciate you coming on the show and I look forward to maybe speaking to you in, within the next year. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. This was wonderful. So that was Dr. Jessica Lutz. And uh, Dr. Lutz is the Deputy Chief Economist for the National Association of Realtors, as well as the Vice President of Research. And as I mentioned earlier, um, I, I had her join me last year. And it was amazing, you know, when even though in the show we do it every single week and, and sometimes we have guests on every couple of weeks or every month, but when you have somebody on from a year ago, it's amazing how the narrative changes. And, you know, that's the world of real estate. You know, things can change up fairly quickly and, you know, you got to keep making sure you tune into the show. I'll do my best to keep you up to date. Uh, and speaking of keeping you up to date, as I had mentioned earlier, and I'm really excited about this, coming up on Thursday, February the 6th, Second at 7 p.m. It is a seminar webinar that I am dedicating to the first responders and it's really to thank them for uh, everything that they've done over the years for all of us. And uh, we have a special offering that is going to come out that night, which allows uh, first responders to be able to purchase real estate with only 10% down. It's a very special program. We're very proud here to be able to offer it out. So go to the simpleinvestor.com so you can register for the seminar webinar. Love to see you here, uh, you know, at our studio. That would be wonderful. If not, join me for the webinar. Uh, by the way, this time to, uh, I will make sure I repeat everybody's questions because the last webinar I forgot to do that with the in uh, in studio people. So um, again, going to be a very very exciting evening, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. So mark your calendars. That is Thursday, February the second at 7 p.m. Um, and that's a wrap for this week. Boy, I can't believe it. We're already into December. Uh, countdown's happening and uh, you know as we inch towards the end of the year I'll try to keep you up to date on everything that's going on I do want to thank Omar and Ian they've kept it simple for me as they do every single week and most importantly I want to thank you for tuning in and making us the number one real estate talk show and of course I'll be back next Sunday as I usually am at noon I'm your host Todd C. Slater you've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010 Toronto